Good morning, my name is Bruce Aitchison and you're listening to the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Sports Coaching Podcast with me, Sam Holmshaw. Hope everyone is, as always, hope everyone is safe, well and keeping occupied in this this strange and, and difficult time for us all. In, in big news this week, it's exactly been a month since I set up the Sports Coaching Podcast and I'd just like to say thanks to everyone that's got in touch, that's appeared on the pod, got involved and uh, and really helped with uh, help with the promotion and getting the pod out there. It's been a, it's been a pretty pretty amazing month for me, uh, seeing it grow and seeing how it's impacting uh, coaches going about their coaching, starting to change their philosophies and beliefs. It's really great to be providing a tool that is is useful for the coaching community. So, bit of a bit of a bit of a, a cool guest I've got this week. Someone that, that that got in touch with me over Twitter, and we had a we had a great chat the other day for about an hour and a half, just chatting all things coaching. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Bruce Aitchison. Bruce, how are you? How are you getting on? Yeah, very well, thank you. This is this is an interesting time for everybody, but. I'm a, I'm quite spoiled, I suppose. I am a housemaster in a private boarding school in Edinburgh, and we've got eight rugby pitches and you know playing fields and athletics field and astroturf. We you know we've got a lot of space, so isolation for us is not the isolation that the majority of the population are experiencing. So minute, yeah. very good to be here, and you know I've got two girls who are eight and ten, and and they're. They're probably struggling to comprehend what's going on a little bit yeah, because yeah. if they catch a bit of the news, they're thinking, "Well, hang on, I can walk out the door and I don't see anyone for miles and miles." So, yeah, we're we're probably in quite a privileged position at the moment, and that's that's good. But not being able to see people, you know, see friends, family, get out to do the sport things that, as a family, we've we've always done. That's a that's a challenge. So. You know, like everybody, we're trying to be inventive and come up with new ideas and try new things and do old things. And, and it's been interesting. This week's been the toughest, I think. But speaking to people, I think it's been the toughest week for everybody, just yeah. the longer it goes. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we're, the, you know, the weather's pretty good this weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to get out and about and, and just relax a little bit and try and switch off from the, the monotony of what it's become. Yeah, but, the old situation. You know, Life's pretty good. I'm a I'm a silver lining kind of person. So, um, you know, you, you look for you look for what you can in any situation, and there's been real positives that have come out of it, and and things like this. Being able to connect with yourself and be asked to be part of these things is is always a real honour, and and I enjoy just that stimulation and meeting other people. So I'm really looking forward to, to having a chat with you. Brilliant, fantastic, and that's uh, really refreshing for me to hear. So. What I normally do at this point in is I would normally read out the roles of experience from my guests, but I think I think with you, Bruce, you've got you've got that much, you've got a wealth of experience really that it would probably be more appropriate for me to to ask you to uh, to share some of your experiences and and what you've done in the coaching and, and, and teaching world. <laughs> this could be a long episode. <laughs> um, I, I suppose I, I quite often say this to people. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the movie The Mighty Ducks. No, I don't think so. <laughs> there, there, there you go. There's one for you during this time. Go and find the Mighty Ducks movie. It was a movie about ice hockey, and it's a guy who's made to do community service as a coach. He's been an ice hockey player, and 
he has to take on this team of ragtags, typical kind of Hollywood story. And the main kid in the in the movie is a talented player, and he's you know he's the good player. He's quite a mature kid. And as the the movie series goes on, there's a bit in it where he says, "I knew I was going to be a better coach than a player." And even at quite a young age, I think I knew that was me. Um, I knew I was going to be a better coach than a player. It doesn't help that I'm slower than a fortnight in the jail. So <laughs> that, you know, in any sport, speed is an advantage. And for me, I had to come up with other things. And um, so, although football had been my first love, it was difficult in a rugby place to for that to win. Yeah, yeah. And rugby took over, and and I, I did pretty well at school, and I got to represent the district and then I got to represent Scotland at under 18 level and that was that was it that was yeah. deal done really yeah, yeah. you know yeah, I, was, yeah. I was getting attention that, that I liked and I was getting access to coaches and teams and trips that were really appealing so rugby became the thing and I went to university which always makes me laugh because I'm a you know I throw beanbags and blow a whistle but I went to university and got a degree in it so I, uh, I went I went to do a four-year B.Ed. and P.E. at Edinburgh and do you know I, I look now and having been a teacher and a guidance teacher and a deputy head teacher now as a housemaster the careers advice that kids get now is off the chart yeah. compared to what I remember at school I remember we had to put in stuff to some computer program and it turned out this on the old printed paper with green and white stripes on it and the holes down the side for the print <laughs> and it came out that I was, I'll never forget this, 84% I was going to be a professional sportsman. Brilliant. Now, how a computer program can tell, tell you that. that you're going to be a professional sportsman, I've no <laughs> idea, but that was the career's advice. So, you know, with my mates, we would go to open days and it was just a jolly to get out of school to yeah, go and look yeah. around university campuses and I had no idea and I was looking at degrees and I I don't know what a, an economics degree is. I don't know what a business management degree. What's human resources? Like, yeah. well, I don't know what all this stuff is. And PE just, this sounds maybe a bit arrogant, but it just seemed a bit easy. I yeah. knew what a PE degree would be. I knew what a PE teacher was. And I loved sport and coaching. As a summer job, I'd been doing football coaching for years when my mates were stacking shelves or cutting the grass for the council. I was swanning about in Scottish football kit, working four hours a day, getting paid a ridiculous amount of money and, you know, feeling like I was a rock star and Andy Roxborough. So I'd always loved coaching. And, and when I went to be a student PE teacher, uh, the degree wasn't, you know, as a student, you're not, your days are not filled. And I look back yeah. and think I should have filled them. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there's yeah. things I couldn't yeah. be doing personally yeah. as a player and, maybe as a coach and there's more studying I could have been doing and there's more reading I could have been doing but I was too immature for all that nonsense and I, I just wanted to play and I was distracted by all sorts of things I was yeah. still involved in Scottish age group stuff so I was training and uh, this uh, this one weekend three things happened I'd been for a job interview at a private boarding school way out in the middle of nowhere in Scotland and they were reasonably keen. And like I said, it was nice to get that attention. So I went back for a second interview. And then I went away with a mate of mine, Kev, into the dark recesses of the Scottish countryside where there was no mobile signal on the big brick of a mobile I had. 
And when I came back into civilization, my phone beeped and I had three voicemails. My mum to tell me my grandmother had died, the school to offer me a job, and my then girlfriend, now wife, to say one of the lecturers at uni has got a chance for two people to go to Hong Kong and work in Hong Kong. So I phoned mum, dealt with that, uh, phoned Nikki, my, my then girlfriend, now wife, and said, right, let's go. And she said, but what about? And I said, doesn't matter, it's not Hong Kong, let's go. Yeah. We knew yeah. nothing about Hong Kong. Uh, I'm not sure we knew anybody in Hong Kong, but it just seemed like this is too easy. Why would we not? So I then phoned the school and said, look, thanks very much for the offer, but I've actually just accepted this. And and as with hindsight, that school closed two years later and we had four amazing years in Hong Kong where I grew up a lot. I was 21 when I went to Hong Kong and you meet people from every country, of every nationality, every culture, every religion. You're a minority you are in a kind of reasonably high profile job like the kids love that and the parents got a big kick out of it and mm. were willing to pay for you to be a, an extracurricular coach and and build relationships with their kids and i played rugby and i got into coaching and i was given lots of opportunities by the hong kong rugby union and the ceo there robbie mcrobbie who um had worked his way up. He's now the CEO, but at the time he was doing another job. He was great to me, gave me lots of opportunities. Wacker Payne, who was head of the union at the time, he gave me opportunities. My club, Kowloon, just, yeah, they just saw somebody that was enthusiastic and willing and said, right, can you do that? And, and away I went. And, uh, I built relationships with people that, you know, I, I played with paupers and kings and I just loved the whole thing. And life took a change and we came home and we got jobs back here and there was a time where i thought this is not for me mm. i got a bit of a fright when i came back and i got involved in coaching back here with a fantastic mentor ian rankin who'd coached in the professional game and was back in the club game and i was his assistant loved that at dundee and then moved to edinburgh um, became a guide teacher, um, coach, tried to play again after ruining my knee at the end of my time in Hong Kong. But I'd, I'd already started coaching and yeah. I knew that when I was coach, I've got no medals, I've got no international caps, I've not got a name. My dad's not anybody that is going to get me a job. Yeah. So I knew I was going to have to start building my CV early. Mm. And I was going to compete against people who did have international caps, pro game experience. Yeah, yeah. I came back and I, I got a head coach job at Watsonians and I probably got it too young and the club were on their way to the bottom of a cycle and as a young fresh coach that was a big big challenge yeah, so I, I took that on um, two years first kid came along Maisie arrived took a year out sort of reassessed what I wanted to do missed coaching and got back into it with um with a great club in the middle of Edinburgh, Murrayfield Wanderers, they gave me great opportunities with that. Boromir came and asked if I'd be their head coach. I had three years there, which the, the two coaches I worked with, Ben Fisher, who's now back in New Zealand, working for New Zealand Rugby Union, Steve Bates, who'd been um, an England international player. He'd built Newcastle with Rob Andrew, was a mentor to Johnny Wilkinson. He was in Edinburgh working at one of the schools. And just learning from those two was 
an absolute joy. Yeah. The, the beer we had after a game was some of the best hour of my week. The the chat after training, we would stand in the middle of a sodden wet playing field in Edinburgh on a Tuesday night when all the boys have gone and the floodlights are off and the three of us were just lost in conversation. And it was just an absolute joy, you know, the, the, the Anfield boot room. It was that feeling where we just bounced things off each other. And then um, that Boromir asked me to leave, which was one of the the biggest negatives I've had in my in my coaching time, um, and I, the club I'd left from Murrayfield Wanderers, they asked me to go back, and I'm very very grateful to them for that chance. And for for two years, we had a whale of a time. We built a great team. We did good things. We we won a league. We got to play at Murrayfield in a final. We some of those boys were some of the best guys I've ever worked with, and. Now, because of job and, and life, and my kids are a bit older, and they're doing their sport and their activities, I'm now a housemaster at a private school in Edinburgh at Merkiston Castle, where this is a rugby conveyor belt. You know, last night they hosted a webinar with Zach Mercer, who's an England international and plays for Bath, who's very grateful for everything he got mm-hmm. from the the coaches and teachers here. Rob Moffat, who was a teacher of mine. Um, Roddy Deans, who's the current director of rugby, and I've known Roddy since primary school. So the coaching world's small, as you know. Really, uh, really, really, uh, really intriguing stuff, actually, to uh, to sit back and listen to your journey. I mean, a, a wealth of experience, uh, not only not only in coaching but also in teaching as well. No, no, really good stuff to hear. So. On to uh, on to today's on to today's topic. Then we're gonna we're gonna chat about growth mindset. So it's a topic that I've I've come across quite a few times at uni. Not really ever dived into it too much, uh, but but it is something that that's that's quite big in the uh, in the academic world. So I guess Bruce, you've done 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 quite a bit of study on this, and it's actually on your website. There's a there's a there's a page about growth mindset. So I guess. I guess to start us off, I guess just just what is the growth mindset? What's the whole concept or idea about? Growth mindset came from um, largely from the studies of Dr. Carol Dweck um, in America, and like you say, it came through academia really. And I found the book, and it was one of those things that had repeatedly come up. I'd heard people that respect talk about it. I'd seen little bits and pieces. When you get onto social media, you know, you get the the little inspirational quote from one or two people and sometimes they were attributed to Carol Dweck. And so I found the book and I read it and it was one of those books that was a bit of a changer for you. It wasn't all new because of some of the people I'd worked with and places I'd been. There were bits in it where I could think he did that or I remember that or I can remember me being like that. So the the growth mindset is what is seen as the positive. So it's the learning from your mistakes, making the effort to keep trying, and often people will associate the word yet with growth mindset. So I can't do it. And then as soon as you add yet, it changes how you envision that challenge. I can't do it yet and the fixed mindset is that determined view of it can never happen and now 
the Carol Dweck wrote that book and people took it on and I would suggest it to people. And, you know, one of those things that people say, I, I don't really read books or I'm not a reader and those things that break your heart a little bit. And I would say to them, well, don't read the whole book. Just read the chapter mm. that is relevant to you. Yeah. So there's an education chapter, for example. There's a business chapter. So don't read the whole thing. But I said, what I would say to you is if you read the chapter that is related to you, you'll probably find you want to read one or two of the other chapters. Yeah, yeah. And you'll find over the course of time you'll have read the book. And at least then you'll be able to decide, take it, leave it, change it, you know, add it on, forget yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. up to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that the thing I learned from reading Growth Mindset and through my frustration with Growth Mindset I hate, I hear people say, I am a growth mindset person. And as soon as I hear that, I think they've not understood what growth what mindset means. is. Yeah, yeah. There are times where we are a fixed mindset person. There are times where being in a fixed mindset is actually the right thing. Yeah. So uh, uh, the example that I give when I speak to kids about this, or you know, I've been asked to speak to different groups about growth mindset, and, and I enjoy that, and I enjoy being challenged on it. Because I think a lot of people want to take something off the shelf and say, right, here's how we're going to do growth mindset. Schools do it really poorly, in my opinion. They put up posters and they, the way they report on the progress of pupils and you can tell that it's lifted off a shelf and put in mm. because somebody in authority has said, we need to, do we need to be a growth mindset. Yeah, yeah. And that frustrates me. I use the principles of growth mindset and fixed mindset when I think it is appropriate. Um, fixed mindset, the example I'd give you, um, I really wanted to learn the guitar. Mm. and I, But the reason I wanted to learn the guitar was because at the time I was about 23, 24, I wanted to be the guy at the back of the rugby bus conducting the sing-song. That was why I wanted to play the guitar. Mm. And the song I wanted to play was The Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. So that was that was it. The, my, my target was I want to learn a guitar because I want to be the guy in the middle of the social occasion yeah. playing 69 by Brian Adams. Yeah, yeah. And my wife bought me four lessons and a guitar. And this was when I lived in Hong Kong. And the guitar lessons were about a 100-meter walk along the street. So there I go. First lesson, I sit down and the guy says to me, you know, what music do you like? And I said, well, I love Elvis, I like Buddy Holly, but the song I really want to play is Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Yeah. And he said, okay. And then he took out this book and he started to teach me chords. And while this is going on, I'm thinking, this is not Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Yeah. I want to learn something. Why is he not teaching me Summer of yeah, 69 by Brian I just want to Brian do that, yeah. But before you can do Summer 69 by Brian Adams, you need to know how to play the guitar. Yeah, yeah. You, to be an elite sports person, you have to run and hop and jump and change direction and throw and pass and catch and kick. and you know, Whereas I just wanted to be an international straight away. And I went to the first lesson. He taught me some things. I got better. And then I went away. See you next week. I went back the next week and he said, right, show me what you've been doing. Now, I had practiced. I promise I had practiced, but I hadn't practiced well yeah. and I hadn't focused 
And he then said to me, show me. And it was obvious that the two of us in the room that I wasn't very good. And he ended up redoing lesson one in lesson two. Yeah. And then I went away and I did even less practice. I went back to lesson three. I was worse than I was lesson one. And I didn't have the guts to go back for lesson four. And my wife sold my guitar on Gumtree. <laughs> now, what, what does that tell you? Does that tell you that Bruce is a fixed mindset person? No. What it tells you is for that task, Bruce was a fixed mindset person. Yeah. Now, while I look back on that with regret, because I would still love to play Summer 69 by Brian Adams, what I look back on is actually fixed mindset was the right way to go. I should never have even taken that on mm. because I wasn't going to make the effort to do it. I wasn't going to dedicate myself to it, to take the time to do it. What I was doing was gym sessions every day because at the time I was trying to play at the highest level I could. I was going to training three times a week. I was playing at the weekend. I wanted to go for a beer on a Saturday night. I wanted to see my mates on the Sunday and run. I wasn't prioritizing learning music. So actually the fixed mindset was the right way to go because we can't be experts in everything. No mm. matter what American movie you watch, no matter what inspirational quote somebody sends you on Facebook, you cannot be brilliant at everything. What I am willing to dedicate my time to is being a, now, being a housemaster, being a teacher, being a husband and a father, mm. being a son, and you know, learning about coaching. And that's actually where I've got a growth mindset and where I'm willing for you to come and watch me, Sam, and say, Bruce, have you, have you thought about this? Yeah, have yeah. you prepared yeah, yeah. for that? Yeah. And watch me coach and then say to me after, listen, Bruce, what, these were two great things to saw you do. See, when you set this up, what was your aim there? Yeah. Because actually I feel like, so that is the way where I'm willing to have a growth mindset mm. because I'm willing to put my time and energy into it. Now, the bit about growth mindset, which I, I also love, it needs the input from other people. You know, uh, everybody's watching Michael Jordan at the moment. Michael Jordan had a huge amount of input from a huge number of people, whether yeah. it was his dad, who was, a, you know, a massive influence on his life, whether it was his, uh, his manager or his coach or his uh, agent or his teammates. Um, you know, there was, there was a huge amount of influence in there for him to keep going the way he did. For me, the great bit about growth mindset if I try and do something and I can't do it, usually that means I'm going to need input from someone else. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to learn and be a coach or be a player on your own. You know, whenever you see that medalist give the interview afterwards, they thank the team around them. Yeah, yeah. Because very few people have achieved it on their own. And that's where the growth mindset comes in. And yeah. you will have a list of players and I have got a list of players and people who you knew achieved way above what we thought they were going to achieve because of their mindset. I listened to Dylan Hartley recently, which I, I loved. And, you know, I'd, I'd love a chat with Dylan Hartley. He said maybe half a dozen times in the interview, I wasn't physically able. I wasn't skillful. I was, I didn't have this. I wasn't. And I thought you've captained England. But there will be a huge number of people who played his position who were more skillful, who were fitter, who were stronger. 
but they didn't have what he had between his ears mm. and in his chest. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that feeling of determination, that willingness to concentrate, that willingness to accept feedback, take defeat and learn from it, but also take victory and learn from that. Um, and, and the growth mindset that there's a time where you need input. I quite often say this to kids. I could run at a wall a hundred times, every time harder than the time before, and I'm still not going to knock it down. So that's where my frustration comes, where people just try harder. Yeah, just, just have the growth all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, what I need is somebody to give me a shovel so that I can dig a hole and go underneath it. Or I need someone to give me a leg up and get over the wall. Mm. Or I need somebody to hold my hand and come the long journey around the wall. Or somebody to give me the key to unlock the door to get through. But all of those situations, I need input from, from somewhere someone else. else. Yeah. And growth mindset to me is that willingness to take feedback from someone else. And the fixed mindset, there are times where people should display a fixed mindset, you know, whether it's in a relationship or let's just keep working at it. Well, actually, no, because life's very right. short. Yeah. This relationship yeah. is broken. Why are we trying to fix something that for six months hasn't worked? What are we going to do that is good? Let's, you know, this sounds a bit callous, but, you know, let's, let's move on here. Let's show a fixed mindset mm. by keeping trying at this is not going to make yeah, it work. Yeah. And that could be the player-coach relationship. You know, it might be when it between players. You, you never know, but there are times personally where I think the fixed mindset is what you should display mm. because life is too short and you've not got enough time to make everything work. Yeah, there are the times time, where yeah, you have to cut yeah, your losses and move on. Yeah. But the growth mindset, when applied to something you're passionate about, you're willing to do, whoosh away you go and that's where those inspirational quotes come in the sky is the limit when you apply those principles mm. and they can also be applied to you know your life as a human as just trying to be happy not accepting everything as the end of the world you know this situation just now i am in a very fortunate position there will be people who are in this situation who can't see the way out mm. and that's a, that that worries me because yeah. their fixed mindset yeah. could actually become dangerous yeah. you know as we yeah, step out just talking about yeah, yeah. coaching and, and playing so for for a coach a growth mindset is so important because otherwise we're still going to be coaching the way we coached before and that's you know we were talking before we we hit record about how sports now are looking outside their own sport to gain knowledge mm. that's the growth mindset mm. the the coach or the player who thinks they don't need anyone or don't need input from elsewhere that's a dangerous fixed yeah, mindset yeah yeah i mean I've, I've i've been through that myself i mean i think got into coaching at 17 sort of just through just stumbling upon it really and decided pretty early on right that's what i want to do now i want to i want to make it as a professional head coach i think i'm good enough i think there's a gap i think i'll get there and probably for the first four years, my mindset was was really fixed. You know, I'm, I've, I've had two years at sixth form learning with, with some teachers. And probably due to the school, that, that was probably how it was there. You, you know, you're really fixed. Get to uni and I do two years. 
And I get, and I remember, I, I went to America for three months. I come back. I get there and I think, I'm 21. I've been at this uni for two years. I've got all this information that I've been taught. I've got all these amazing lecturers that have all this wealth of experiences, so many opportunities. I've not took any of it. I've not done anything. And you sort of look back. And I remember I was doing a session. And I was like, that I, I've not developed as a coach. I'm still the same as a coach as I was when I was 17. And that was a big shot for me of, wow, I really need to start changing how I approach. And and I think it was probably a thought of, well, you know, I managed the junior football team when I was 18. I got to a cup semi-final. I thought I knew everything. And it was very fixed. And then when I started to accept that actually I don't know everything, actually you can never stop learning. In the last two years, and some of my sessions, you know, I mean, I, I admit, they're not always the best sessions, but I'm, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I want to learn. I want, you know, setting up this podcast, learning from other people. I've learned in every single conversation I've had. And it's really now helping me to be a better coach. But I think that's an interesting point you make about, I, th- I think you're right. You look at literature and it's always, it's all about growth mindset. Well, actually, the fixed mindset isn't negative. Because it is something, you know, for that example, for me, it's something you want to achieve. But sometimes you've got to slip out from the fixed and get into that growth as well. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's I, really interesting I, I, to me. I, so I, I, I knew, I'll start that bit again. I, I knew a player who wanted to be a professional rugby player, wanted yeah. to tell people he was a professional rugby player, wanted to be a professional rugby player amongst his mates. It was a prestige thing. It was a vanity thing. And he had this desire but what he didn't do was enough to show the growth mindset that here are the things that needed. Now, I think that might have been because he wasn't with people who were giving him the right advice, the right direction. Like I was saying before, you need input. But this almost blind ambition, I don't know if uh, if you ever did at school, Death of a Salesman, mm. Arthur Miller, mm. uh, you know, he wanted to be a salesman, but actually his skill was with his hands. Yeah. Building things. Yeah, yeah. Well, he probably didn't see being a joiner or a carpenter as a prestigious enough yeah, profession. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But actually, what that might have brought was happiness. And for, and for this guy, that was that was what missed. He was doing it for this purpose rather than because it was something he really enjoyed. Wanted to do, yeah. And it makes yeah. bad sometimes when I hear professional sports people and when they do it, and, and I think fewer do it because they get they get hammered for it when they say they don't enjoy it, because you know guys like probably you and, and definitely me, we say, oh, I would give my right arm to be a professional. Well, actually, I wouldn't because if if I had given my right arm, I probably would have had a better go at being a professional. Yeah, I didn't yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So like, like Michael Jordan, he won three championships and then decided I'm done. And we're all thinking, but you're Michael Jordan. You yeah. play basketball. You win stuff. Yeah. Why are you giving that up? Yeah. He was done. Yeah. And it's a difficult thing for us to understand. But he was done. It had brought him what it had brought him, whether it was definitely riches, but hopefully happiness. But it wasn't making him happy. And that was the situation with this player. He wasn't happy mm. chasing the thing he was chasing. So actually... What might have been happier doing was I'm going to put that time and energy and that emotional and mental um, stress that I'm putting on myself, I'm going to put it into something else that might make me happy. And I'm not sure enough people 
focus on that, on the things that make them happy. All right, so on to uh, on to our next topic then. Some uh, some some really interesting and in, intriguing chatter so far. So we, we we've spoke about what what growth mindset is and and this idea of a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. So I guess sort of moving on to what are our, sort of the use of approaches as a coach, as a teacher, as a parent, even as a basis as, as just as a human. Where does or how do we begin to sort of implement? this idea of a growth mindset, if you like? I think there, there's always the challenge of what language you give people. Um, you know, I, I sometimes laugh. My my eight-year-old, every now and then, will, will tell me she's stressed. You're eight. What do you mean you're stressed? <laughs> but that's a language that is used. Yeah. You know, she, has, she, has she heard me say that? I don't know. Has she heard her mum say that? Probably because she's married to me, yeah. but she's probably, you know, she's probably heard it on the TV, somebody saying, oh, I'm stressed. So I've now got an eight-year-old who rightly or wrongly has a concept of being stressed. So I think language is important around how you coach and you have to be very aware of your language because that becomes an echo very quickly. Your players pick up on that language. Mm-hmm. The language around coaching at the moment is things like culture environment feedback you know these these things are now right out there in the open those three PE I spoke about earlier they created an unbelievable culture and environment that did a whole manner of things to Gregor Townsend who went on to be a British Lion and is now the Scotland coach Chris Patterson who's the top point scorer for Scotland of all time and second cap but they also produced me, who's still involved in the game. Yeah. And my mates who might not still play, but they buy a ticket to go and watch rugby. So they, they've still engendered that culture and environment for people to stick around in it for a long time. So the language around the mindset is important, but this is where it frustrates me in schools. I don't know if you ever watched Scooby-Doo cartoons when you were a kid, but I always liken the growth mindset posters in schools to Scooby-Doo scenery. Yeah. When Scooby Crappy are running along a corridor and there's a pot plant and a portrait, and it's the same pot plant and portrait for the whole chase, nobody pays any attention to the pot plant and portrait mm. because they're not what's important. Yeah. And that's what posters are on walls of schools and coaching academies. This is who we are. Yeah, but, you know, the type is a living. Nobody's stopping to read that type. Mm. But it is in the language of the business, the behaviour of people day to day. And that's where you catch yourself. My mum quite often will pick me up on things that I say to the kids. She'll say, well, you've got to follow through that. Because if you don't, then they're going to remember that you said you would do this. And and then you did it. Oh, right, okay, you know... Now, my mother is a great check for me, as most people's mothers are. Yeah. We've got to check each other as coaches as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way we conduct ourselves. And that negative language in this period of time, like everybody I've been scratching around on Netflix and Amazon to find things to watch. And I found this documentary series on it's called Last Chance You. 
and it's about this um, college in America that's in a town of about 500 people, but they've got a 5,000-seater American football stadium, and they employ about half a dozen coaches and condition, and they take all the players that have been kicked out of other college programs, you know, ragtags that have done this, that, and the other, wouldn't try, poor attitude, and then they give them this last chance to get into the draft for the NFL or to get into a better college to give them the chance to get into the NFL. But the conduct of the coaches makes me sick that I've stopped watching it. I can't, I can't watch it. And I was, my wife and I were watching it. She's head of PE at Mary Erskine School in Edinburgh and is a real educationalist. She does things for the betterment of all the kids. Um, And, we, you know, we sit and watch those things very seldom just for pleasure. It tends to stimulate a conversation about this, that, or the other. Now, one of the things I probably feel uncomfortable about watching this guy, I can see myself having done that in my coaching past. Moments I'm really not proud of, yeah. things I've done and said that, you know, while I, I try not to have regrets, I try and learn the reason things happened have made me the way I am mm. now. So if I change those, so there, there's a whole load of things that swim around and, and I overthink uh, often. But I watched this guy and I turned to my wife and I said, watching this doc, I reckon I could do that, that guy's job. He gives no technical input. There's no, it doesn't seem like he's built a relationship with these kids. Mm. He, they are there for a purpose. He is there for a purpose. And that emotional connection seems to be completely devoid of any attention. And the language, I mean, he, he sweet or as they put it, he cusses them out. Yeah. And the, the way they talk about the opposition, it makes me feel sick. I've stopped watching it. I've got to episode seven or eight and I've had to be um, And then I watch Michael Jordan and he talks about uh, you know, the last one, I think, when he, he finishes with some tears and he said, if you don't want to play that way, don't play. And people are now questioning, uh, do you have to be a good person? And the All Blacks always talk about, yeah. you have to be a good person. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that, that no dickheads yeah, kind of idea. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting one. And rugby does put a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah, yeah. Rugby puts a lot on the, you got to be a good person and if not, away you go. Now, that then just becomes so subjective. Your idea of a good person might be completely different from mine. So the way you treat that person will be different from the way I treat yeah, yeah, that person. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we get back to language and behavior and how we treat people. Wherever I've been as a coach, and this was where I made a lot of mistakes in my first head coach role. Um, as a young, I was the youngest head coach in the league. I think I was 28, and I took on one of the biggest clubs in Scotland, the Watsonians, who, as I say, were actually to- heading towards the bottom of a cycle. Mm. But in my naivety, yes, I want to coach them. That's massive. And I was determined that I was going to be the coach I wanted as a player. And that's how I've always approached my coaching. I want to be the coach I wanted as a player. And I've taken the experiences I've had of coaches that I've loved, like the PE teachers at Gal Academy, to some good people I've had in the adult game, to some one coach who nearly made me give up the game because he nearly broke me. Um, and then events that came along 
saved how I felt about myself, about the game, about my involvement, about my future. Um, all of that experience went into, right, I'm ready. I'm a head coach. Let me go. I've got all these ideas. The players must have hated me. I was on them all the time. Before social media, before WhatsApp, I was emailing them. I've got this out, boom, email. They must have seen my name in their inbox and thought, oh, God, he's had another idea. I overwhelmed them with it. I wanted to do everything. I wanted a handle on everything. What the minis were doing on a Sunday morning, what the what the preparation was, the bus arrangements, what they were eating, the gym yeah. program, the yeah. skill development, yeah, yeah. acting. Yeah. If they did something in a game that we hadn't practiced in training, I almost took it as an insult. I was like, what? Wait, that's not what we did. That's yeah. Yeah. Why are what they are not doing, doing yeah. what we told yeah. them? And it was a real, it was a naivety of enthusiasm. Um, but while I was there, I got put into what was then the UKCC Level 3 course. This was the first one for Rugby Union running Scotland. So I was in some pretty good company. Gregor Townsend, for example, was on that course. For him, it was a box-ticking exercise. We're talking 2009, 11 years ago. But it was a box-ticking exercise for him. For me, it was a real learning opportunity. You know, we chatted on the phone this week. I was talking to you about it, but the best learning over that period of time was during the coffee breaks, where we just got onto a topic and away it went, and we could have sat there all weekend and not actually gone back into the lectures. And that... I was hungry. I was like, right now I'm a level three yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And I'm on, I'm on the phone to the coach ed department, Scottish Rugby Union, going, when's level four coming? I want yeah, to do level four. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cool, your jets. Come on. <laughs> oh, God, so far to go. Yeah. But I had that, that element of, I need to do this because I'm not a cup winner. I've not got medals. I'm not an international so I needed it to happen now before somebody else gets, gets there. Yeah. And I lost sight of what was important. So the language changed and the, the pressure and the stress that at the time, if you'd asked me if I was under pressure, I would have said no. Mm. But after the two years I was there and the club were great to me and there was lots of people who helped, but there was lots of things I needed, but I didn't have access to, or I was too proud to ask. And I left and I, and I didn't coach for a year. And it got to about the October and I was finding the weekends just, I hated not having somewhere to be on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, but my wife said to me at one point, she said, it's like you're back again. She said, for two years, you've just been off the chart. Yeah, nonstop. And it took, I don't know why at some point she didn't tap me on the shoulder and tell me, but it probably would just cause the barney as those things do in relationships. But it was a bit of an eye-opener. So when I went I went down the leagues with Murrayfield Wanderers and I got people around me that that were were good for me. Um, I was the I was sort of the, the lead. I was absolutely the lead, but I had people around and and I was more relaxed. That doesn't mean I was lazy, it just meant I let other people have a go. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was probably a bit better at using my energy where it could be better used and we had two and a bit years where I was I just loved it I could see what we're doing we had so many players we had people wanting to you know I had players phoning me saying can I come and play and a a couple of clubs had a pop at me and I said well look they phoned me 
they've asked to come and I'm never going to say no. Mm. If, if you're not happy, uh, the question you should be asking yourself, and I really hacked this guy off, I said to him, well, ask yourself why he's leaving, which was the wrong thing to say. And it was probably a bit of me being cocksure bravado that I shouldn't have. And, I, and again, one of the things I wish I hadn't said, but that was kind of how I felt. This, mm. this person wants to come to this environment, this culture, this, you know, all those things I was talking about before. And when the, the club from the leagues above, Muir came to ask if I wanted to be head coach, it took a long time for me to make that decision yeah. because I was so happy and I could see what we were doing and I was the, uh, I was the king of my kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it was like, this is good. And I asked three people about it. So I spoke to them and, and I sort of went away to think about it. And I got home and my wife said, so what did they say? And I told her and she said, of course you're going to do it. You told me that you wanted to, so of course you're going to do it. And my dad said, Bruce, of course you're going to do it. And Rob Moffat, that PE teacher, I spoke to him and he said, of course you're going to do it. So I phoned him and, and, you know, that was it. And and I was sad to leave and I went and I learned a lot in that next three years um, working with that squad and working with the uh, those coaches I mentioned, there were there were elements that weren't supportive. Let's just be polite about this. There were elements that weren't supportive, but because of that little inner circle being strong, yeah, we didn't really let it impact us the way it might have. Um, and that was again the lesson of get people around you that you trust, mm-hmm. and then they not necessarily mirror your behaviours but they complement your behaviours. And the language around growth mindset was really important. I I got to a point where I was confident enough to say to my fellow coaches, with that player, this is how we need to approach it. Or when you're speaking to them about this thing that keeps going wrong, ask them, you know, include them rather than just... So there became ways for us to try and work it out. And I am very aware of my own language when I speak to the boys in this house. I have 60-odd, 15-year-old boys that are I'm housemaster of. I speak to them as a group. I speak to them as individuals. I speak to them as classes. The language has to be chosen yeah. to be appropriate for yeah. them, to be meaningful for them. And I've got no doubt that half a dozen of them can do a Mr. Aitchison impression with these mannerisms and with these, you know, the bingo things that he'll say all the time. But hopefully they see the meaning behind it and the value behind it. So I think that's one of the things coaches and coaching teams need to spend time on is developing the the behaviours and the language that they're going to use and being willing to check each other when actually we need to be checked and and you have to mirror that um i i remember giving a player we were talking earlier about video analysis i remember giving a player a really really hard time on a Saturday. he was last 20 minutes he was done absolutely mm. done i was like what is going on i watched the tape and on the tuesday night i apologized to him the problem had been mine not his yeah he didn't understand his role yeah he was trying to do too much. So by the last 20 minutes of the game, he was spent because he'd already done his job and Someone half else's. a job of yeah, somebody yeah, else's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I say, I said to him, look, I'm sorry, I, I got that way wrong. Mm. But he almost, and he was six foot four and built like a, you know, he nearly fell over. Because mm. this guy who was his coach and, you know, I say that to people often. I'm always amazed that on a Tuesday night, 50 grown men turn up to be told what to do by me. Yeah. You know, I, I live in a house with an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old who don't do as I ask them and they're mine. <laughs> you, you guys are choosing to be here yeah, and yeah. when I blow the whistle, you all run. Yeah. That's a that's an amazing power. Yeah, so how do yeah. we use that to make it enjoyable? And back that to that point yeah. said earlier, I always be the coach that I wanted. So when you leave my session, I want you to leave feeling like that was worth your time and energy. Because if it's not, there's a hundred other things that you could entertain yourself with. Why why bother going to that guy's training session? I'm not getting any better. I'm not being challenged. It wasn't enjoyable. I'm not fitter. I've not had a good social experience. I'm not going back to that guy. And that's where, when I speak to clubs, that's quite often what I say to them. How are you including these boys? Yeah, everyone, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. How, how do you make the clubhouse? In the school I worked in, inner city state school in Edinburgh, who were actually attached to the club I was coaching. And I kept saying to the club, we need these kids in the clubhouse. They can go and play rugby anywhere. They can do the physical bit anywhere. Where we get them is when they are welcomed into the clubhouse and made to feel a part of it. And eventually they came to a game, they got a pie after the game, they got as much fizzy juice as they could throw down their throat. They were given some free raffle tickets for the after... And the kids, you know, I was getting messages from parents who had struggled to engage with. I was getting messages from the parents the following week saying how much their kid had loved the game. Mm. The, the, the downside is you've not got a home game every week. You know, you can't include them every week to build on that momentum, that initial ignition of, I love this. Mm. How can I get that feeling again yeah. if you've not got another home game yeah. for another three weeks? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Just, just to sort of interject there, I think we often forget, like you mentioned earlier, that's what sport is about. You know, I think like when I was when I was uh, when I was twenty one, I took on a team. We uh, we a mate of mine at, at uni, and we you know we were we were we just wanted to win. We were getting obsessed. You know, we were uh, trying to teach them all these technical and ta- tactical skills. Uh, you know, we'd be screaming at them on the touchline, and you sort of come out of that, and you go. They're 14 years old. They were at a junior football club. They were here to have fun, to learn. And, I mean, I was reading a book a couple of weeks back. It talks about seven secrets of uh, successful coaching. Uh, and, and the number one thing all these successful coaches in America say is, it's all about developing the person, the human. You've got to show them you care, you're honest. Uh, you, want, you want to develop them. And I sort of looked back and I thought, Wow. And that's what I got into coaching for. That's what I loved about it. But then through maybe what we were saying earlier, getting a bit fixed about my own achievements and my own goal, completely forgot about that and stopped trying to develop people more just to get great robot players that can win for me. And but that's, that's where we've probably all been as a coach yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. What was important, and it's that self-reflection, being honest, but also... If we win, that reflects on me as a good person. Yeah. And that's where, you know, back to that bit, the 
sometimes winners are excused from being good people and that 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 worries me um because then that becomes right to be a winner talking to those model behaviors and language to be a winner i have to behave like this and that's that's really dangerous mm. and that's where i i have sympathy with professional sports people when the fingers pointed at them and they're told they're role models because that's quite often not something they asked for i wanted to be a professional footballer to play professional football yeah I didn't want to be a professional footballer to be a role, role model. model. Some, people there, do, yeah. some people do want to be role models. Some people do want to make a change. Uh, some people do see it as a, a greater good, which is which is great. But there are some players who that's never what they asked for. But that's where if those foundations, like under 14 coaches, like you're saying, if you have instilled in them the correct behaviour, the way to carry on, then actually when you are faced with that situation between... I could be this person or this person, you're making a choice based on your experience. And the the bit about, to me, it's a sense of belonging. Matthew Syed, when he wrote his book, Bounce, um, you know, about 10,000 hours and, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. you know, table tennis. and But then Ed Smith, the journalist from The Times who played cricket for England, fantastic book. He almost wrote a book in response to that called Luck, where so much of what happens is luck. Where you were born, who your parents are, are your parents willing to take you to that team? There, you know, there's Tony Minicello. Now, Tony Minicello, none of us would have heard of Tony Minicello if Jessica Innes hadn't turned up at that racetrack that night. Yeah, not particular setting. None yeah. of us, by the same token, none of us would have heard of Tony Minicello or Jessica Innes if Jessica Ennis's mum had taken her to netball, yeah. because at the time, netball wasn't a, a high-profile sport. Yeah. So there is a huge amount of luck. I feel very lucky with the experiences I've had, the upbringing I had, the parents I've got, the family I've got, the wife I'm married, the kids I've got. A lot of that is luck that I couldn't have planned. And as in the position of being as a teacher, a guidance teacher, a deputy, uh, now as a um, housemaster, a lot of parents want their kids to have a plan for life. Now, Richie McCaw, at 15, wrote down all his life goals. He achieved them all beforehand. He became the greatest ever all-black. He won the World Cup. That worked for Richie McCaw. It doesn't work for there, everyone. There are some people who that's a real challenge for. Yeah. Now, could I have predicted at 15... I was going to be married with two kids, working in the job I'm working in, in the city that I live in, having done all those things, if I'd planned, no. Now, what I have planned is the next thing I'm going to do and the thing I'm currently doing. So if you can love the thing you're currently in, it's amazing the opportunities that then come from yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are, can be a very good under-14 coach, you know, the guy you were talking to on your last podcast, the doctor from Leeds Beckett, he was, you know, he obviously did a really good job at Bradford. And from that, has now got a job with AFA. Yeah. So he couldn't have planned that. He yeah. didn't know that job at that time was going to come up. Yeah. But by doing a really good job in the present, in the thing that you can control, you know, it's like players come and say, how, how did I get a pro contract? How did I play for Scotland? How did well... None of that's going to work if yeah. you don't get this bit. I'm asking you to do now, right? Yeah. When I was teaching, teaching at my school in 
at Tynecastle in Ring's State School, City Centre Edinburgh, and the kids were getting to the end of their, their work and they had to complete this workbook as evidence. And I put it down in front of this kid and I'll never forget this conversation. He said, I can't do it. I said, you can't do what? Any of it. I said, how do you mean you can't do any of it? Yeah, yeah I can't do it. And he, because what he was looking at was the whole. He was looking at the whole workbook. I said, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to do 1A. And when you've done 1A, we'll have a crack at 1B. One one yeah. And do you know, the next year, I didn't give them the workbook. The next year, I gave them it page by page. Because sometimes when you look at the whole, it can be really, really intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Just focus on getting the thing that you're being asked to do now yeah. to the bit of your ability. That next thing becomes not necessarily easier, but it becomes manageable yeah. and achievable. Gradual step, isn't and, it? You know, it's the last night. Um, Roddy Dean's the director of rugby at the school I'm in just now, Merkiston. He hosted a, a webinar with Zach Mercer, the player at Bath and, and England. And you know, he wanted to be a professional, but he knew he had to play really well at school. Yeah. And that got him into the Scottish age group because he was in Scotland. Yeah. And then what happened, England saw that he was playing really well for Scotland, but knew he could play for England. So England thought, hang on a minute, somebody make a phone call to yeah, this yeah. And, you know, by dealing with the thing in the, in the moment, it's amazing how the future can take care of itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smashing stuff well. I don't want it to end. It's such a great conversation, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll finish it there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Meanwhile, all your... Switched off with <laughs> no, uh, no, really, uh, really, really interesting stuff this week. I mean, great to hear again from someone that's that sort of briefly come across the growth mindset at, at university and stuff. Great to sort of hear how that's been, you know, sort of looked into within, you know, your coaching, your teaching, and and, and what you've done within your experience. So, so really insightful listen this week, Bruce. If people want to get in touch with you, what's your how can they get in touch? Twitter, website? Yeah, the Happy Egg Shaped on, on Twitter. It's Happiness is Egg Shaped on Facebook. Um, it's, it's mostly a lot of nonsense, but it's uh, it's made it's made to make the world a better place, or certainly that's the intention. And Bruce Aitchison on Twitter and, and also on Facebook. And there's a website that at some point during this spell of isolation, I might actually update and, and put some new stuff on there. But it's... Uh, yeah, I'm always keen to get involved and, and I really appreciate this opportunity. So thank you very much. Brilliant, brilliant. So thanks to uh, thanks everyone that's that's tuned in again. Hope you've hope you've really enjoyed it. Again, if you've got any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with me or with Bruce. And uh, yeah, hope you uh, continue to stay safe. Well, keep yourself occupied and we'll we'll see you next week. <laughs>